guests you are very inspiring and i know really? exactly what wavelength they're on and sometimes i have no f-ing clue so it's great. <laughs> you balance your range you keep me guessing i love it um, what's the so time thanks I've, for having me on what's the time uh you've had no clue is that from uh, cl- i would say like 65 percent of our conversation no i'm just i'm just messing <laughs> What's up, everybody? Today we've got the number one on the all-time women's money list. She's made uh, pretty much, uh, I guess, the most money out of any woman. Uh, She also graduated from Yale. She went to MIT. uh, Smart as She quit poker to work for a trading firm uh, in finance for Wall Street, basically. So uh, welcome, Vanessa Selps. It's been a really long time since we've connected, uh, but it seems like you're doing big things and got an interesting path that you've taken. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, no, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Uh, I'm excited to kind of dip my toes back in the poker world, so being on this podcast is exciting. It's a blast from the past, but um, yeah, I'm in a pretty different world right now, but like kind of similar at the same time, so you know, I don't know. It's pretty fun. So does that mean you're coming back to poker or at least, you know, going back a little bit into it? Because I understand you you said that you quit in 2018. Um, I know now you're going, you're, uh, you've signed up with the, uh, the WSOP yeah, that's right. team, excuse me. Yep, play WSOP. Yep, we're a play money site and I'm just uh, kind of representing poker to the masses. I think I'm a, I really appreciated the, the chance to be a spokesperson for play WSOP because I think like, you know, you ask, am I going back to poker? It's like, I didn't, I didn't quit poker. I mean, you never quit. Like, it was always a really big hobby That's for true. me. Obviously, I did it for my primary source of income for a long time, but I always did it for fun. And I think you never really quit poker in the sense that it's always fun. It's always a game. So, like, I haven't had very much time the last few years to play or, you know, with, you know, I started a new job two years ago and with kids and all that. So, It'll be my first time getting back in the live tournament streets, but it's definitely like I'm not going back to poker. I'm just playing for a couple of weeks just for fun. But um, but with PlayWSP, it's cool because it's like, you know, it's play money. It's like primarily for people to get involved with poker that are not pros. They're not high stakes. You know, they're not playing high stakes. They just really enjoy the game. And that's where I'm coming from, too. Like, that's why I'm going out there. I'm just going to play whatever I can in the limited amount of time that I have. And I just really enjoy the game. So yeah, uh, no one ever really quits poker. It feels like every poker is like the one industry where people always like say they're gonna quit, and then like uh, the, the poker still like reels them back in a little bit, and uh, there's always like. Something. Well, sorry. There's like people that like say they're gonna retire and then go back to playing, like the Fedors of the world. Where I'm like, did you you literally play more than you used to before you said you were retiring? <laughs> but I just mean like, um, no, I'm definitely like not doing that. <laughs> it actually used to really annoy me for some reason. Like the first couple of years after I quit, I was um, or retired or whatever you want to call it. I was working at a hedge fund and I was working a lot of hours. And I was like, I remember I took one trip. I got, I like took a few days off and I went to some WPT. I don't even remember. It was near, you know, on the East coast. And so many people were like, uh, like giving me snide comments about like, Oh, you know, I knew you weren't going to quit. And I was like, here I was like not sleeping. Cause I was working so hard at my new job. And you know, I took one week and everyone wanted to have a dig about it. But, um, 
no, I mean, I think we should encourage that, obviously. Like, it's, you know, for most people, it's weird because, like, you know, when you're a pro, you're in this, like, weird subset of the of the human race where you spend all your time playing a game. But obviously, like, 99.9% of people that play poker do it as a hobby. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm just a rec player. So I think that's going to be the hardest thing for me, actually. Like, what I realized during the WPTs, I, so I played, like, I think I played four WPTs in the last six years. They were mostly like maybe four years ago, right before COVID. I was actually planning to play a few more, but then, you know, COVID and all that shit. So, but um, the hardest thing for me was like, I actually got final three tables in three of them. And I never used to get final three tables. I always used to get like, I would just bust right away or I would get final table because for me, that was the stage where I felt like I really knew exactly what was going on. I, I knew where people had leaks and I was like really good at kind of putting, like reading people and understanding how they were going to play suboptimally near the bubble. And I just like really feel like I crushed that. And then those three tournaments, two of them, one of them I just ran bad, but two of them I like definitely made mistakes that I would never have made when I was playing a lot. And I was kind of hard on myself for a while, but you know, obviously like if you're not practicing and you're playing high stakes tournaments, it's, you're not going to play as well. But I think it's a tough pill to swallow because, you know, if you're a big winner in tournaments, like, a lot of your ROI comes from, like, crushing, you know, at least for me. Some people are good at different stages. For me, I was, like, fine at the early levels, but I think, like, my great ROI came from playing the late stages really, really well. And kind of knowing that I wasn't at that level was really tough. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for me this summer is kind of, like, being sort of some mix of, like, taking it easy on myself and, like, not being too hard on myself if I make mistakes, but also like, look, if I get in a high equity spot, you know, like I was just thinking to myself today, if I go deep in the main, well, I would have to, I want to like study and, you know, like do some things to improve my ROI. But so it's like, where you know, kind of finding that balance of like, are you a recreational player? Are you a pro? Like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird, weird thing to navigate for me. So I think that's going to be kind of tough. Maybe you could like uh, leverage both. I mean, I don't know, maybe you could even get into these good cash games. Actually, you probably could, is my guess, if you cared enough. Um, and by the way, the strategy that you um, alluded to seems to be pretty um, popular these days, or a variation of it seems to be popular these days in tournaments, or at least it's suggested, in that um, a little bit later in tournaments, you seem to want to like increase the variance so that you either bust or you have like a big chip advantage when the bubble approaches, and so that gains you... Um, more and more EV as things progress. Uh, it, it has something to do with the future gameplay, because obviously, yeah. if you're you know you have a shitty stack size in the, during, around the bubble or you know at the final table, it really sucks. And right. there's not a whole lot. I didn't realize do. that was like a. I didn't realize that was like a thing. I think I like naturally did that because my style was so crazy that I always like had a big <laughs> stack or was just like you know lasted two hours, which was great <laughs> for my hourly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I think like yeah. It, you know, it, I used to coach a lot of students, and I think one of the things that always stuck with me, like, I had students that would, you know, bust with, like, 12 or 13 big blinds and lose a flip, and it's like, you know, if your style is, like, fold, 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 get all in with 80% equity when you have, once you have 10 big blinds, it's like, probably style. you're going to lose one of those at some point, you know, and so I would say to the students, like, okay, like, yeah, obviously you got unlucky, sort of, but, like, why do you have 12 big blinds to begin with, like, you know, it's like, you know, this stage is coming up. What can you do to prepare to put yourself in a better situation? So I think that makes a ton of sense that like people realize that like on the bubble, if you're a big stack, you get to just go crazy. And if you're a short stack, you have to play super tight. 
So like kind of the like pre-bubble play, right? Like making sure you're putting yourself in a, in a position to really, you know, I think that extends all the way to the beginning of the tournament. Honestly, I mean, it always depends on your table and your, you know, who you're playing against. You always have to adapt in poker. That's why it's such a beautiful game. If people are playing too tight. You play too loose and, and vice versa. But I do think that um, generally people are far too tight in tournaments uh, in most situations. Like they're too worried about stack preservation um, so um, there's some mathematics around this and I was actually a bit too aggressive myself uh, to be corrected as it as it happened because ICM did actually affect the bet sizes and things like that um, I haven't studied it too much in detail but there is something we said for different bet sizes at least if we're like taking ICM into consideration oh yeah once you're deep I agree I, I more yeah. meant like earlier stages kind of like you're saying it's kind of like the Have you know you... logical next step of like pre pre bubble and then pre pre bubble you can extend that all the way back to the beginning of the tournament because i agree you kind of have to be tighter later so um if, if you're shorter stacked and so well, like kind of you know yeah. have you read mathematics of poker uh i don't know that sounds like something i may have read like 20 years ago but it, I'm it's not a sure. book it's pretty good um well so there's truth to both sides i would say um from what i understand you do definitely want to get it in with like you know an edge even like 55 percent. but basically in that book they go over an example of like if you have like queens versus ace king should you just get it all in pre-flop in the main event where you like no, you could have obviously, obviously not yeah obviously no. absolutely not actually obviously yes as no. it turns out no that's just wrong i'm sorry i don't even know what this book is but that can't be right well um they've got math behind it yeah, um, sure. You could have math, but like, like, how do you quantify? It? You can you can come up with a mathematical formula for anything, but if you don't describe, if 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 the if the formula only exists under conditions that you're describing that don't actually correspond with the conditions, like, you know, you could say, well, you need this much edge in the tournament to justify passing up this much edge in like a single situation or something. And if you just tweak various parameters, I mean, it's the same thing with trading all the time. Like you can describe a model with many parameters and you can tweak a few parameters and you come up with like vastly different results. So I I don't know. I don't want to say no. Obviously I'm like sort of being tongue in cheek. It's kind of how I am, but like, I, I don't believe it. Like I think like, I mean, obviously in some situations, sure. Depending on like what your pot odds are and whatever. But if you're talking about like early in the main, I really think that like, there are so many ways to, to chip up for very little variance that I can't imagine that ever being good. I'm actually on the other side of this one, if I'm really honest. Um, and I am really honest. So in, in this case, basically, the math resulted where you needed something like 300 or 400% ROI just to like be able to overtake something like a 57-43% edge. Yeah. So like, Sorry, Queens versus Ace King is not 57-43. Let's be clear. Yeah, it is. And I think it, it is. is. 57.4. We're going to have to look this one up. I did not think it was 57. I thought it was more like 54 or 46 or something. But anyway, yeah. uh, it's been a long time. I believe you, but it, I I really don't think it's 57.43. But anyway, uh, if you're not sure, then I believe me. If you're sure, then I'll defer to you. you can also I'm very look it up. I'm you're like 90% confident. sure. 90%? Okay, you're going to lay me 9 to 1. Wait, don't look it up yet. Hold on, Dan. If you're not, if you're 90% confident, I... You gotta make a. You gotta lay me nine to one then. Like put your money where your mouth is. Maybe right? I'm not as confident as I thought. Wait, I'm gonna look it up. All right. Okay. Cool. If, I, if I lay so, you nine to one, while it's you're looking that up, my point. My point is like I really think that 
probably, I mean, at least for myself, I believe that I have a 300% ROI in the, in the, in the main for sure. It's, you're so, right, actually. It's 56% favorite over Ace King. Uh, I thought it was 54, 46. Oh, Ace King off. But over the combos of Ace, how much is it against Ace King suited? It's like 53. Okay, cool. So then the, the weighted average of that is like 55. So because there's like three to one combos. So it's like 55.25. So it was closer to 54, 46. So let's just call that a win for me. Especially when you're nine to one short. Come on, man. Come on. Well, um, right. Vanessa, let's. Uh, I want to talk a bit more about trading and philanthropy because I think these subjects. I think trading trading is really obviously related to poker, and I think philanthropy is not as obviously related, but I think it really is actually at the end of the day. Interesting. Um, because if you want to be effective at philanthropy, it's kind of like the same principle. Like, how do you balance your emotions with doing? good especially if we're gonna like maximize good but why wouldn't you right um well why don't you tell us a little bit about um like what made you decide uh or what your experience is like in as in a trading firm as i don't know do you find it like more rewarding than poker um what's similar about it like these kinds of things uh, sure. Love it? I mean, re definitely rewarding is not the thing that like I entered either of the, those things for. Like I decided I sort of have like these like two personas or something where like I care about social justice and doing good in the world. But I also care about like loving what I do every day. And I found over time like that's, I went to law school because I thought I could like marry those things with doing social justice law. But it turns out I hated being a lawyer. So I realized that what I like to do is think about games and play games and um, and then, you know, that would have to be distinct from this, like, doing good in the world. Not that, like, our firm is bad. I mean, I work uh, Jane Street. It's, like, a fabulous place where, like, very ethical people and good people, but, you know, it's not, like, I'm not, like, helping poor people, you know what I mean? So, um, but that being said, like, so, but I love what I do. I love the place I work. Um, I trade options. Uh, we're market makers, so basically provide liquidity meaning we're like buying and selling things all day um it's like incredibly fun it's so much like poker um but there's just like way more things you can do way more variables um way more like ways to kind of make profit make money um i do a variety of like trading live so you know people are trading like i'm trading orders with people um trying to figure out who am i trading with like you know what's their motivation how is it what's their execution like that that much is just like poker where it's like literally you know how much size are they going to do how fast are they going to do it when are you know why are they doing this are they smart are they not that smart like do they have an edge you know what is that how, how do i update what i thought was like uh, especially options i'm trading volatility what you know i had a fair volatility in mind how does like the new information it's a game of incomplete information i'm taking a new information how does that update my model of of what the volatility surface should look like or whatever. So that that's just like the live trading is just like poker in so many ways and it's really fun. Um, and then I do a mix of other things like, you know, do research, like a lot of data science stuff for like more algorithmic trades, like coding tools to, to help us trade, stuff like that. So I don't know. It's incredibly fun. Um, but and I love going to work every day. I love the firm I work for. So that's all been really fun. Um, and then from a philanthropy side, you know, like I said, I you know, it, it's pretty different. Like, I've done various things. I have a foundation um, that I have I set up a long time ago. It's, my God, it's almost 10 years at this point um, where I, like, fund a lawyer to do. Uh, it's historically been police misconduct litigation. 
um, at various organizations around New York City. So we have either one or two lawyers a year. Um, and, you know, that's been funded with poker money, which has been like a really nice way to kind of marry those two things, like you said. Um, and then various other things, like I organized a charity poker tournament. Honestly, I kind of hated that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was very successful. But I was like, it was just like the things that I'm like, I don't know. It was like party planning and well, I asking think, people for money and stuff. And it was well, like kind of awkward, but yeah. I think the whole organizing part wouldn't be something that you would do. I would think that you would hire someone to do that because that's like a totally different skill set as you just No, but to. like, it, yeah, right, exactly. So like I was kind of like more on the ground about it. Like eventually I could have farmed it out, but I think the thing I really hated was like the fundraising aspect of it, which I think like you kind of have to do from a personal level. Um and I just, like, don't like asking people for money. I mean, like, I've talked to a lot of people in philanthropy about this. Like, if you believe in your cause, which I obviously did, it was for the Urban Justice Center, which is a fantastic organization um, that provides legal services for people, kind of groups in need in New York City. So if you believe in your cause, you're not really asking for money for yourself. But I still found the whole thing a little bit kind of awkward or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I would do it again if, if, if the time was right or something. But, yeah, that's kind of what I'm at. Uh, at what I've been up to, I guess, but they're they're pretty different like spheres, I would say. But I think like being able to put my money into that other stuff makes you know kind of makes the whole thing work. So. Wait, so what's what your about, what, um, what foundation? You? What does it do? Uh, oh, the foundation is just like a honestly a legal entity that, so, like I mean not to get too into the weeds, but basically like I made a bunch of money when I was really young from poker. Like I had a really big year. It was 2010, and wait 2010. Oh my God, it's been 13 years. Wait, did I say, I'm so confused now. Yeah, I guess it's been like almost 13 years since I set it up. That's crazy. Time flies. But like, basically I made a bunch of money and I was like, all right, I know I want to do something, but I don't like for like the good of the world, but I don't know what yet. So I set up a private foundation so that I could basically avoid paying taxes on it. Like, cause eventually I, I knew I was going to eventually give the money to charity. Mm -hmm. And so the way a private foundation works is like, you just have to give away 5% every year. So it was kind of perfect because then I set up this structure that I could like oh, use that money smart. over time in like a sensible way, basically. So it's really just a, a legal fiction, but, oh, but, but it, I mean, it, it's, the, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you answered like the, the legal part and yeah, it makes sense. It's like a way to make people do it realistically that saves them. Well, it doesn't save them money exactly, but it, it uh, doesn't hurt them and they do some good. So that's cool. But like, what, what does it support precisely? What's your cause? Oh yeah, so it it um, sorry, it's my foundation. I can do whatever I want with it as long as I give it to charities. But what I've done is I actually work with Equal Justice Works, which is a found uh, an organization that supports like legal graduates that want to go into nonprofit public interest law. And so for the last, I want to say ten years, maybe nine years, I've each year, I've had either one or two lawyers that the like their salary and and expenses are paid through by the through the foundation. And they're working on um, either with like the ACLU or Legal Aid or some various organizations that kind of work for um, various civil rights causes, whether it's police misconduct or racial justice, stuff like that. So that's what I've been supporting. Oh, so it's, it's like combining law and like philanthropy. Yeah, sounds like. exactly. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that, that makes quite a lot of sense. Makes sense to like focus on like what what uh what you know what you, yeah 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 i didn't get into the whole effective altruism like i get it like and i'm like yeah this probably isn't like i could probably buy way more malaria shots or something with my you know the 70k or whatever it costs per year but for me that was like a way that i could be really connected especially when i had just graduated law school i was like um 
you know, I was also more hands-on with the, with the fellows, with the attorneys. So because I had the experience as well, so I was working more directly. Now I'm much more hands-off now that I'm kind of more removed from that world. But it was nice to kind of feel like I had a little bit of, you know, boots on the ground, stuff like that. Well, I, I would like to assert that effective altruism, at least if they're, they're looking at it purely from the standpoint of like money plus lives saved or something like that, plus pain alleviated in the short term, is not correct. Certainly, uh, I would not believe that, you know, I mean, I think it's an important cause that, you know, alleviate malaria, but it's definitely not optimal for everyone to focus on something like that. And it's yeah. not optimal in my eyes, personally. Yeah, it's like a range, you know, there's like a, you know, yeah. some percentage I'm, has to be allocated, right? So what do you do? What, what is your, what's your deal with philanthropy? So um, it's kind of long-winded uh, and it depends on what we're calling philanthropy. But basically I asked myself, uh, at some point it hit me that, you know, you can do good, like you can give people food, you can, you know, cure malaria, for example, you can, well, if you cured malaria, that'd be like a massive thing. Um, but you can like, you know, help alleviate like a temporary pain, but then more pain is going to keep happening. And so I kept asking myself, well, I asked myself various questions like, wait, wait, what is good in the first place? Because sometimes you can do good and it does bad. Also, like if you feed people and they become dependent on you, now you've done something bad. Um, because you need actually to get them to sustain themselves. So I thought, okay, well, you don't feed people, you feed people tactically, yeah, but you don't feed people all the time. And then at some point I realized, okay, well, philanthropy itself, or at least, at least maybe not necessarily philanthropy, philanthropy, but the idea of like giving away stuff by itself looks like it's not 100% the way to do things. And then it occurred to me, well, how do I fix all these problems? And then I like, you know, I, I talked a little bit with some people and it looks like basically there's there's been quite some debate about this subject, but for a long time, people debated over uh, the big areas of impact being energy, health and um, education. I thought it was education, but, you know, you need health in order to be educated and you need um, energy to, you know, be able to read or whatever in the light. You need some, you know, some kind of energy. Um, and then along came this idea of something like sport, which is basically, you know, people educate themselves, but not in the practical sense through sport. They educate themselves by, uh, through learning certain virtues like perseverance and how to work as a team and things like that. And so, you know, it hit me like, okay, this actually does connect to poker because poker, uh, you, you wouldn't necessarily call it a sport, but it's a game where you actually learn some really uh, important concepts like critical thinking, perseverance you really need for poker or trading. You need to look at things fairly and objectively, which is super important in the world today. It, it, uh, you know, you have to take courage and take risks and things, right? And it hit me, okay, like there's really something here. And so it occurred to me, and then also taking it into my past experiences, that basically through certain kinds of action, um, well, through sport, you could say, can make a big impact in this kind of way and also lead towards the education of people fixing their various problems. On top of that, there were other versions of education like how to be a good person um, and you know things that were communicated through various cartoons and media, whatever that was watched. And so I realized that there were like two ends of this that made sense, but it all fell under the umbrella of education in the sense of educating people culturally in terms of what's good, what are like good practices to embody um, and like actually doing them through practice, which would be something like sport. There's um, so getting back, getting to the root of this, 
there's media uh, that I decided to work on um, and realized that I was affected by media itself. And so that's why I'm going into the entertainment industry um, and also trying to promote, promote um, how do you say, uh, like the arts and things like that, especially for developing countries. Um, and this will help give kids like jobs and stuff. I, you know, giving kids, helping kids is like one of the biggest ways to make an impact. There's many different various variations of this, but, um, but, uh, what I realized was, um, that helping kids in the beginning stages of their lives was one of the most scalable ways to do it. There are other variations. Um, I originally was focusing prim primarily on promoting a friend's charity, which basically educated kids from zero to six years old and taught them like a right way of living as well. But it occurred to me actually that many things that are promoted in many like you could say religious cultures, et cetera, are actually really good. Like yoga is really good, just fundamentally. And I had this like epiphany, like, holy shit, like all the religions are basically saying the same thing. Um, and this similar direction, it's basically a version of media. And then, um, I feel like where this is headed is like, you're starting some sort of super cult, you know, that's like a amalgamy of all the religions. And you're going to have these like videos that you send out to like various, I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the, you know, so, so what are you like literally doing with this? Uh, that's a good question. So on the philanthropy side of things, I'm helping kids uh, to uh, be educated in the right kind of uh, way of things. I want to do that and like lead them towards being like, you know, excellent members of society. That's what I believe in basically, whether it's poker or yeah, actually trading was one that came up recently um, with a friend of mine who's, you know, brilliant and, you know, it can be anything. The other areas I don't really know anything about, so I have to start with poker. Um, but I've been reorienting my entire career in this direction, deciding basically, okay, maybe I can help kids become excellent poker players because I can, and like, uh, teach them in like developing countries. And this will create, um, at least somewhat of a middle class a little bit. And now I can help some people. You don't, uh, do you agree? No. Oh, so you're helping people in developing countries become poker players. Well, this is an idea lately where it seems like this has quite a bit of promise just because like, like yeah, if I you mean, think poker definitely. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just think that um, I think that for many of these kids in these countries, it's like a pretty viable career if you find like the right ones. And those are ones that I can most easily help uh, and help in like a big way. And it's yeah. like somewhat scalable if you do it in the right way as well. And it develops a community aspect, which is what's required in general for the bigger picture. Like yeah. I kind of have to reverse engineer this massive vision that I have. And like, sure. this is the idea. Yeah, I mean, look, I think poker teaches incredible skills. And I think teaching what you know, and what you're passionate about is always going to be the most effective. So I say, go for it, you know, okay. go teach them six, six year old uh, African kids how to play poker. Uh, well, maybe uh, more like I'm, teenagers. I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll go play. What? More like teenagers. Oh, I thought we were on zero to six. All right. So zero now, to six now is now for different skills, Vanessa. Oh, you can't okay, teach okay, a three-year-old okay. how to play poker. I'm just messing <laughs> with you. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, zero to six is the age where infants' brains are most influenced, right? So, um, 
it's just the age where like you want them to start off on the right path early ideally but the problem with this which i'll get to in a second i'll get to the problem in a second but basically if you teach them basic life skills from zero to six years old this is going to help a lot later on this is my friend's project which i personally donated to i've flown to countries i've given speeches on um i believe in this uh but there's like more of the story children's education is very complicated so you have to factor in like how easily influenced things are you know when you're looking at like it's kind of like there may be a lot of value in running like really strange bluffs in poker but it's super hard to apply so maybe you'd focus that effort somewhere else but in this case the analogy would be you focus it on preflop and preflop's just like more complicated than you thought and um it requires a little bit more effort but in the scope of children's education affecting these kids is a lot more a lot easier than affecting like adults um and even teenagers to a decent degree i would say so at least like donation wise i would pick that uh area but i mean obviously you know people pitched all kinds of things to me i believe in kind of supporting things in the ways that they're meant to be supported. So like, you know, in the environment, super important too. If there's no environment, there's no anything. There's no, shortage um, of, no shortage of causes that need support. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, what I was going to say is donation wise would be that. And then, uh, you know, business wise, uh, you know, ethical business wise, the helping kids with poker might be a realistic thing. I'm surprised you supported that so wholeheartedly. I don't know if you think it's a great idea or not, because I read that you didn't believe that promoting poker to amateurs was a good idea as like a viable uh, way to make money. Sorry, I think like teaching poker as a way, like I, I was like, first of all, I was kidding. So I was like, oh, you're going to go teach six year olds how to play poker. It was kind of a joke. But but I think like teaching poker in general teaches like really good skills. Um, like you said, critical thinking, uh, logical, deductive reasoning, psychology. I mean, I think poker is one of the, the most beautiful game because there are so many skills that can make someone great and there are so many transferable skills that you learn from poker. Um, I, do, I don't support, like, 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 um, kind of giving the illusion that poker is, like, a good, uh, like, way to make a living post, like, 25, 17 15 really i would say especially not in like america at the very least which is what i know um you know i think that almost everybody would be better suited to just like go on a more traditional path if they were like choosing between that and poker so um, i don't know where you like heard that i didn't support but I, I like so i'm not sure where that quote or what the context was of it but that's sort of been my stance where i just thought like oh. it's just like not a great career path for most people at this point um but okay. it's like a great game for amateurs like to have fun with absolutely i think it's um fantastic. so a couple things it was when you quit you were you said you were quitting poker and secondly yeah. i think that what you say about a traditional route would have been true up until about recent years where it's becoming less and less true and basically like um in universities basically it's now like getting a college degree is like not as value not even as valuable as like Sorry, Not I don't having... even, I, I think you're, like, misunderstanding me about, maybe, I, like, the word traditional is, like, pretty loaded. Like, I absolutely don't think you necessarily need a college degree. Um, I just think, like, um, sort of something, like, more, quote-unquote, traditional in the sense that it kind of, like, adds value to the world rather than like playing a zero-sum game or it's not even oh. that there's anything wrong with that i just think literally the industry of poker got to a place where it's incredibly hard to make a living it's like 
not very lucrative for most people and it's incredibly hard and it's painted as uh, something that's um, far more glamorous than it actually is and um, you know the people that most of the people that I know that can make a lot of money um, if that's their goal or something could actually make a lot more money doing something else so uh, you know like trading is a great example like everybody I know that's making like seven figures from poker could probably like you know, triple their salary at least if they're trading or something, you know, whatever it is. So if, if the goal is money, there are better ways to do it. If the goal are, are other things, you know, like freedom and, and all of these other things, like like fair enough, I guess. But I, I just it didn't feel like those things were very available in poker either. Like it didn't feel like you could marry like having stability and having the freedom that the illusion was there. But it, it didn't feel like that was real in practice, I guess, for, for myself. Okay. Well, the goal for what I was thinking was to get people to like be able to make sustainable levels of income, not necessarily seven figures. The goal for me is to create more of a middle class. Do you think that's viable? Because I mean, trading actually is one of the avenues that was suggested precisely in exactly the same way. So it got me kind of excited. I thought, okay, well, like maybe through my friend, I can like help, you know, promote this trading thing or like help facilitate its creation in some other country or whatever. Um, because the idea isn't just poker, by the way. I just want to start with poker. And yeah. I also want to show one idea is that poker is actually a really apt metaphor for life. Um, even the ethics of life, by the way, uh, from like the highest point of view. Um, it's a perfect metaphor, but only people in poker can really understand it. Um, uh, do you see how that's true? Does that make sense to you? Are you interested to hear? Uh, I or think no? you're going to have to elaborate. That's pretty like kind of like what, okay. what's the metaphor? I have a perfect analogy in a second. But yeah, sure. the idea is, firstly, I, I want to run this idea. I just want to help people go from like f-ing, like dust to like making thirty thousand a year or something like that um, on like a, a larger yeah, scale. Yeah, dude, like, I'm saying like if you that's what you know and that's how you can help people. Like absolutely, like that is great. And there's a lot of people that a traditional job setting is not great. So like I like everything that you can never say a blanket statement. When I say I don't think poker is like a uh, a great like career path or something and like should not be like glamorized or something like that. That's not to say there are not people who it's perfect for. Like absolutely. And there are a ton of people out there who, you know, it's a great career path. I think um that being said, for like your average person, I think like de- you know, kind of depending on what your goals are, if your goals are money, I think you can do better somewhere else. If your goals are like structure and stability and kind of like having, um, you know, uh, if your goals are like socialization, if your goals are, you know, kind of like being kind of like, uh, I don't know, learning the ways of society, like in a, in a more traditional sense or something like all of those things I think are like better served like in other kinds of paths. That's all I was saying. Like I think there's a lot of great things about poker and the independence and the things you learn from the game, but I think there's also just like a lot of a ton of like downsides of the lifestyle. That's all. Um Okay. I, that that might be true. I um yeah, that might be true. I, I like kind of um I I don't know. I think poker gives a lot of freedom. I think it lets you do kind of whatever you want if you become successful. I know. It. I think that's really hard for a lot of people. Like it was hard for me. Like I don't. I don't want to speak for like a lot of people. That was hard for me. Like it was hard for me as someone who, I have like pretty bad ADD and like I'm not very good at organizing. We talked about I don't like organizing things. I kind of like like to have structure in place for me. Um, and so right. when I was able to play poker, I, kind of like was a little bit lost a lot of the time. Like what am I doing? Like I'm not really. I don't have like higher goals in some sense. 
um, besides like being better at this game or something like it was it was hard for me so um, but like yeah absolutely the freedom is, is is incredible in a lot of ways but you know there's also drawbacks to it that's all I'm saying oh yeah it's kind of hard to draw higher goals from it the um, the the main higher goal that I wanted to uh, allude to is that it actually does suggest if you look at it from the right kind of angle it does sort of suggest um, it could be used as a model for how like ethics work in certain ways like for example you could uh, relate like putting in big raises in early to something like uh um something like being like having an aggressive sort of uh like if you put if you're too aggressive for example then it'd be similar to being too aggressive in like dealing with people so that yeah you would win a lot of the battles in the short term but it'd create like a lot of resentment in the sure long you're term. talking about like having a plan for the hand and playing like multi-street before you know is like good for like kind of creating a roadmap for like any goal or something like that like sure there's like analogies you can draw and i and, and i agree with you i think like the the skills that that are are very transferable i mean i've been saying that all along and like i love that you know that's a, that's a great point of like the ability to kind of see uh like multi-street contingencies that kind of like evolve in like a potential game tree is like an amazing skill for kind of any endeavor like completely agree with you um and like yeah like i said but but that's what i've been saying to you like i, I think it's fantastic to teach people poker if the goal is like um teaching them uh, uh, like skills that like the like the skills you learn in poker bar none are applicable a lot of places and are very very great so like yeah uh completely agree um with all that it, it was more just like I, I don't know that like you know I, anyway i don't even know we i don't even think we disagree on things i think like okay. i just said something like i don't think it's a great career path for most people these days but like you know i don't well, I'm like kind of trying to like uh, reverse engineer how to make this like big impact the the part of the dream the real dream and it's like completely insane uh would be to create functional members of society that can go from like you know they're born and then you know they're raised in the proper way and then they like you know lift up their own nation because they're so functional right because like you know at the root of it all problems come from within is what i think right because the more up someone is on the inside the more up the outside will be uh you see what i'm saying and like i was just thinking poker might be a good starting point for that but sure. it doesn't seem I that think anything scalable. that can ground people and give someone a passion and make someone excited about succeeding and thriving is is great so absolutely and i said teach what you know so yeah i think it's a great goal yeah well um well let's talk more about your stuff before we uh have to go you, it sounds like you've got to go in a second would you like to talk more about wsop or your philanthropy or your trading firm or whatever your, your <laughs> i think we've your... talked about we've talked about most stuff i mean i said you know i'm excited to get out of the world series like it's a great tournament um I'm, I'm happy that that's the place I get to go back and play poker. The last time I played, I was like, uh, it was when I busted with uh, my full house to quads, which is now an infinite hand. So excited to get back out there and try again. But um, yeah, no, I'm, um, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm happy to go out there. It's got me amped up, Dan. Like it's always fun, uh, you know, talking to you. Sometimes you are very inspiring and, I know really? exactly what wavelength they're on, and sometimes I have no f***ing clue. So it's great. <laughs> you balance your range. You keep me guessing. I love it. Um, what's the so time thanks I've, for having me on. What's the time uh, you've had no clue? 
Is that from? Uh, I would say like sixty-five percent of our conversation. No, I'm just I'm just messing. With you. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I, I I gotta I gotta protect that one. I'm not really sure. But um, anyway, right. I hope to see you out in Vegas. Uh, Me too. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been uh, great having you on, Vanessa. Uh, thank you for your time. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.